Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. How's everybody doing out there? I've uh, been better. I mean, it was a pretty wild ride, Robbie. It was really good vibes all around. Thought Trump was at death's door. And now we're kind of back in reality. Teflon, yeah. on, baby. I mean, I guess anything could happen at this point, but... It's like getting really high on yeah. some kind of drug that just feels really good, and then like you crash hard afterwards exactly. and you feel depressed. I like, feel like I just snorted Adderall for like three days straight, and now I'm just in the after phase. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's a real emotional roller coaster. I mean, I I had a feeling he wasn't going to die or yeah or be seriously affected, and I mean part of the reason why. I guess I knew that is because he was getting extremely expensive and exclusive treatment that only someone at his level of privilege can get. So mm-hmm. if everybody in this country who's, who died from COVID already had the luxury of getting a extremely rare antibody cocktail by a company called Regeneron that received hundreds of millions of dollars from Jared Kushner's COVID-19 money distribution task force and remdesivir which is extremely expensive and most hospitals ration it. I mean, geez, a lot more people probably would have survived. So it's quite disgusting in a weird way that he's acting like he beat it and, you know, he's fine. And it's like, well, a lot of other people probably would have been fine too if we had universal health care and we had access to these things instead of him pushing a contingency plan drug that he did not even take, hydroxychloroquine, on the entire population acting like it was a cure for COVID. It's just ultimately just really disgusting to me. The yeah, whole and all of, his, all of his tweets and talking points after he was quote-unquote cured, which again, we don't know when he was infected. We know that this disease can be a roller coaster. You can be fine, your fever can go down, and then it can come back in full force later on. Apparently the worst effects could even happen a week after you become infected with it. So we don't actually know the timeline, but let's just say that he did get past the darkest phase of the disease. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, he had top tier healthcare that is not available to anyone else in the world. He's the most powerful person in the world. And it's just absolutely despicable, his rhetoric coming out saying, look, everyone else can beat it too. You shouldn't live in fear of this disease, Robbie. That is the funniest shit ever because... All, you know, all these Fox News talking point spinners, they can do that all they want. They can come out and be like, this is his FDR moment. Everyone shouldn't be, you know, no one should be this afraid of the virus. He's doing a good thing. It's like they're trying to spin all of his stupidity and incompetency to these like positive sounding talking points. And I just don't know who out there is idiotic enough to actually buy that. Because Trump is on, yeah, Bob Woodward is a fucking shill. He like totally shilled for the Bush administration. But that's not a fake recording of Trump acting like the virus is really scary and terrifying. So Trump is lying. I mean, it's just, it's just very, very bizarre. I mean, I've even heard background reports about when he'll go to these rallies in private, he'll act very worried and concerned about getting too close to people. But in in public, he'll act like he's not afraid of it. That doesn't sound like a man who's actually not afraid. It sounds like a liar and a con artist. So he's like just we already doing know it. he fucking is. So he's just doing it to pander to his base, which seems odd because it seems like he would lose a lot of support from people who have either lost loved ones, know people who have been sick with COVID, or or just older in general. That's what you would think, Abby. But I don't. You know, I do think you look at the percentage of people who died. It's still a small percentage of yeah. the population. It's not enough people 
to have that effect you're talking about. So he is not only is he pandering to his base, he's just like pan he's just doubling down on the on his own incompetency and for dropping the ball on this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because if he at any point admits that it is serious and we do need to take it more seriously, then everybody will be like, what the fuck, dude? Like the whole last six months you've been saying the opposite. I mean, he's he's basically trapped himself in a corner. So he's lucky, in fact, that he didn't get more severely ill from it. Yeah. Because if he did, it would have like ruined his entire propaganda apparatus for the last six months. I know. It was so... I've never been more optimistic, especially this year. <laughs> you know, I was so hopeful and it was just like super good, awesome vibes. Everyone was super stoked. Everyone was making jokes. It just seemed like good old times, you know, um, yeah. before this year uh, kind of sunk us all. Mom's been here. We were watching CNN all weekend, which was another hilarious just experience because CNN, you know, as the corporate news likes to do, they just rehash Every single segment is just another panel of people saying the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Commenting on every little like minuscule detail about everything and just reading so far into it where doctors were interpreting that Trump actually was at death's door. And so I I was just super hopeful. Like I honestly believed these doctors that were just like, no, the fact that he's been injected with the steroid like really means that you know, these are only for like really, really serious COVID yeah. patients and shit like that. And I was just like, oh my God, maybe there's a chance, you know, you're telling me there's a chance. Um, and then of course he does that loop where he says hi to his supporters. And I just, I just had a bad feeling at that point, especially because the second video he released just looked way better than the first one, you know? And but then, they were um, weird videos though. I mean, they, they were, were still, weird videos. they looked like they were on shot on a green screen. They were odd. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what was going on in those videos, but they were odd videos. And even the one he released when he got home was filmed on a green screen. Which yeah. I love odd. that. He, I love that he had this professional like movie crew set up to do this oh, yeah. trailer. Of oh yeah. He did a trailer. The White well, House. Yeah. He did a movie trailer. Explain that to people that it had like fucking action movie, like sounded like Michael Bay, like action yeah. movie music with a cut together trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was like 25 different camera angles of professional camera crews set up on the White House lawn, um, filming the helicopter, filming it landing, filming him coming out, saluting, um, walking up the steps. Of course, it didn't do the zoom in cut to him gasping for air like a goldfish out of a bowl. That was <laughs> left out. That was left out of, of the movie trailer. But yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that that's all he cared about. All he cared about was the optics. And you're telling yeah. me that if anyone else who was obese and 74 years old, if they had to be on oxygen twice, would they really be released from the hospital this early? Of course not. I mean, we have to remember that he is the, he's directing, you know, he's giving the orders to all these fucking military personnel in Walter Reed Hospital. So yeah. he just said, I want to be released and he wanted to appear strong and that's what happened. But I'm sure that he's still being treated inside the White House. I would he imagine there's be. still like a, yeah, hospital style, like, you and know, apparatus gonna, there. And who knows what we can believe that about what his actual condition is. The only thing that's going to prove to us that he's actually not suffering from it is if he goes in public and talks to reporters. And so far he hasn't. And that's going to be an issue for him moving forward because no reporters are going to be want to want to be in the same room with a COVID positive infected person. So or kind of has a secretary. dilemma. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. But he kind of has a dilemma because these green screen videos, these little videos he keeps doing, even the QAnon people are like not buying it. I mean, you should see some of their postings. I mean, I'll, mm -hmm. we'll go into that later, but like it's not enough. So like 
if, the, if he's going to actually have to be quarantined or like away from reporters for 14 days, that's going to hurt him. I think it's going to make people wonder what's actually going on. So almost like he there's he has no choice at this point, but to just like sort of stay back in the White House away from reporters and let all these rumors just be flying. I love it. I, I love it, too. But it, but it, the only part I don't love about it is like what is actually going on with him? Like we right. have no there's no way for us to trust until he proves to us that he is well enough to speak in front of the press and we don't see that he has like breathing difficulties. Right. Well, that's the good thing about this. That's the good thing about this disease. It has long lasting <laughs> effects that can be totally unpredictable. <laughs> so he could even have like a heart attack later on. That's, you know, because of complications from COVID where he just seems totally fine right now. So there is still hope. Someone, someone brought up the point. How funny would it be if he campaigns on quote unquote surviving COVID? There's already like a commemorative coin on his website. Oh my God. I was almost going to order it and I saw <laughs> it was $100. $100, it's dude. $100. But how funny is it that they made the commemorative coin on the website like the day he went in the I hospital? Know, like these people, people are, are utterly psychotic. Crazy. But but what's funny? What would be funny is if he campaigned the rest of the the time on like surviving this, and then he dies on election night. <laughs> That'd be the best case scenario. But It'd be he tweeted he tweeted this morning. I don't, you probably saw this. Flu season is coming up. Many people every year, sometimes over 100,000, and despite the vaccine, die from the flu. Are we going to close down our country? No. We have learned to live with it, just like we are learning to live with COVID, and most populations far less lethal. We've That's talked about so... this before, that the flu is actually not as contagious as COVID or as lethal. I've, I know no one who has died from the flu or even had serious complications from the flu. And I know several people who have had serious complications from COVID and friends of friends who have died or family members of friends. So it's just outrageously false, this narrative that it's comparable to the flu. And it's just crazy that he woke up jacked up on these fucking steroids and shit and actually tweeted this. <laughs> yeah, well, the, ster the steroids thing is interesting because I do agree with some of those doctors who said that, like, you like a steroid makes you feel good and your body does sort of kick into overdrive and will, like, help you heal, but it's not going to, like, fight the virus in any way. So, like... Yeah, right. It will maybe boost his immune system temporarily, but, like, if this... If, if they tell him to wean off of these steroids and he still has it... Then he might, I mean, he might start getting worse. That's also another interesting thing, too, is like clearly he was high. Steroids make you feel really good. I mm -hmm. was just on, I had really bad back pain. I pulled my back extremely badly. Mm -hmm. And instead of giving me cortisone this time, which they usually do, which is like a topical injection, they gave me prodicerone, which I didn't realize is like a pretty powerful steroid. And I felt really, like I felt great. Like, like right. psychoactive, you know, like right. it made me feel like a, a million bucks. And then at the end of it, they were like, oh, yeah, you have to wean off this because the side effects are so bad. And I was like, what? Like, how come you didn't tell me this when I started taking it? And yeah, like even after weaning off of it, I mean, honestly, like I felt like shit emotionally, yeah. like for the th two to three days after I had weaned off of it. So this is the interesting dilemma is Trump has enough power to be like, give me more. Just keep mm -hmm. giving me more right. steroids. He might have to be on steroids until the election, Good. honestly, because if he gets off of them before, he's going to crash. And yep. Trump, he's in a bad mood sometimes on these press appearances, but I don't think he's ever actually like had like a cra emotional crash 
that will happen from steroids before since he's been yeah. president. That'd be beautiful if he had some sort of, you know, if we were like seeing him live tweet his mental experience crashing on steroids. That'd be great. Or even better, like a, some sort of live stream. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to watch a live stream. <laughs> but back to what you said about the flu really quick. Yeah. That um, So he's saying 100,000 people have died. That's not true. Funny, actually, if you watch Steve Bannon's show War Room Pandemic right now, you'll see a very interesting example of how the Trump administration's rhetoric, where they're trying to basically downplay the virus, say, don't be afraid of it, mm-hmm. it's fine, reopen everything, is in contradiction with another track that the Trump administration is also trying to go on, which is saying that this is a deadly plague, it's the China virus, it's the CCP virus, China unleashed the plague on the world. If you're trying to sort of adversarially pivot and ramp up war-making propaganda with China, you can't also be saying that the virus is not harmful and that it's just like the flu. So the rhetoric actually kind of cancels itself out. So it honestly just shows how sloppy and stupid and incompetent this administration is. And also how stupid and sloppy this Robert Kagan, Bill Crystal wannabes are at the Committee on the Present Danger China, like Steve Bannon. Because on the show, Abby, it's really funny, actually. His co-host says... Here's how many people died from the flu. So basically, this, the, the segment of War Room Pandemic starts out where, you know, they're referring to Trump's tweet. Don't be afraid of this. And Steve Bannon's co-host is actually taking issue with the tweet. And he's saying, well, you know, only really 25,000 people died from the flu. And, and then Steve Bannon says, well, I don't trust the CDC. And then they start going back and forth arguing about it. And it's like, dudes, this is a perfect illustration of how, like, your, your two simultaneous propaganda talking points aren't working when you try to mix them together you fucking idiots you want to talk about coming back to reality here um the, COVID-19 has killed a significant number of people right I mean in, in this country alone what are we at 210,000 or something 000. now what was the let's take it out of the last two years just in case you know whatever skewed things what are the how many people died from the died from the flu all right died from the flu um in 2018 I think it was about 85,000 it was about 35,000 it was about 35,000. Um, that's a significantly fewer number than have died from COVID-19. I don't trust the CDC. I, don't think well, look, I am we, looking we at the CDC. Okay, fine. As, as a baseline. Fine. Use it as a baseline. But even so, what you're saying to me, I don't want to live with this thing. But I, will yes, not, I yes, do not yes. want to live with this we thing. Wanna, I want to kill it yeah. dead. Or Stop can, it if, in its if, tracks. Let the market reopen. We're not going to be able to kill it dead until we get into the lab until we get into the lab in Wuhan. Maybe there is a sector of these national security hawks who've been chomping at the bit to go after China. Trump was their way to do it. And they're probably on some level infuriated that Trump is downplaying the virus so much because it hurts their chances for starting that fire that they want to start. I mean, you have to imagine they they can't be happy with that because Trump is only doing that to double down and defend his own handling of the pandemic. There's no other logical reason. Right why that rhetoric has gone out there the way it has. Because the hidden version of what Trump is doing, Trump actually let this slip during the debate. He says that the U.S. military is ready to deploy 200,000 vaccines a day. It doesn't sound like a guy who's not afraid of the virus. It doesn't sound like a guy who wants to make everybody have, you know, have their civil rights and doesn't want lockdowns. It sounds like a guy who's talking out both sides of his mouth and is doing the shit and is planning the shit that Alex Jones used to act like was the end of the world. This medical martial law scenario. Uh, and Trump yeah, is right? doing it. Not well, we're going to deliver it right away. We have the military all set up logistically. They're all set up. We have our military that delivers soldiers and they can do 200,000 a day. 
They're going to be this delivering the vaccine. This is the same man it's who all told you up. by Easter this would be gone away. Yeah, this is like what it boils down to for everyone. Everyone's obsessed with Bill Gates and saying that he's the one who created or is like using the virus just so he can administer his global vaccine. Yet no one thinks it's odd that Trump says that. Well, yeah. I, for one, hope that Tulsi Gabbard is administering my vaccine at my checkpoint. Me too. Um, I'm I want looking forward to that. Yeah, how funny is it too that she's she was like, I'm deploying for the National Guard. Like when the pandemic first started, and everyone, all of her supporters who claim they're anti-war are like, Yay, Tulsi! <laughs> we want troops in the streets injecting us with drugs. It's just like <laughs> fucking insane. Yeah, dude. It's just so funny in general. I mean, I know we plan to talk about Tulsi, but just really quickly, how funny is it at all that someone who's active duty in the military who's getting deployed is an anti-war candidate? It makes no sense. It just makes Tell no me sense. About it. Tell me about it, dude. It's fucking That's ridiculous. What, I've been saying this. You know, <laughs> I have been saying this. Uh, the whole super spreader event was just fascinating to see it unfold. That was one funny thing about CNN was just like the zoom ins and the quick cuts to like <laughs> Kellyanne Conway hugging and kissing all these people and like Bill Barr and her speaking like inches away from each other's faces and all these, the GOP senators or whatever, the GOP Congress people, like three of them who contracted it, just super closely talking to people who all had COVID. Just hilarious shit. And all of them were stacked like sardines in this Rose Garden ceremony for this uh, cult Catholic woman who's going to replace RGB. It's just, it was just surreal. And to show our viewers or our audience how much we care about the quality of the show, we actually recorded two and a half hours just wildly speculating on <laughs> everything that was going on that I fucked up the recording of. Um, and so we're re-recording this episode after we found out that Trump returned to the White House. So we're not releasing that. Um, it was fun regardless, Robbie. It, it was a it good was time. <laughs> it yeah. was cathartic. It was cathartic. We were, we were in a, a much more time. celebratory <laughs> celebratory mood. Um, but oh yeah, I mean, my God. I mean, it was it, it was weird that they almost did it as a PR stunt. Like they did not need to have all those mm -hmm. chairs stacked together like that. I mean, the press pool, the Rose Garden, the entire time for every press event has been social distance you know, people sitting far apart, wearing masks, and just because of Trump's own ego, like, I believe this is all it came down to. I don't even think other people were comfortable with this. They just went along with it because they're just such bootlickers. Like, I think Trump did it for his own ego. He wanted to double down once again on this idea that the virus isn't a problem and that nobody should abide by any of these social distancing measures. And he, I, I think he probably told people they can voluntarily wear masks and only if like maybe three or four people in the audience are. I mean, it just makes no sense. Like why put people on unnecessary risk like that just for your own clout and ego? I mean, that's the only reason I can think. And I mean, did you yeah. see that clip of the reporter asking him a question a couple of weeks ago and Trump says, can't hear you. Can you take off your mask? And the guy says, no, sir, I prefer to leave it on. Trump says, oh, I see. You don't want to take it off because you're politically correct. I see. And it's like, <laughs> really? Like, do you not? Like, the fucking Spanish flu, dude. Even before we knew what a fucking virus was. Like, before we even knew that. Like, people thought Spanish flu was a bacterial disease back then. There's data. There's plenty of anecdotal and even statistical data to show that, that counties and cities during the Spanish flu that had mask ordinances had a much lower infection and death rate. That's been proven. And, and it's just like, why is this, be, why is the mask thing? 
the debate that people want to have. Let's have a debate about the real issues, like why we need to lock everything down mm -hmm. and make everybody, force everybody not to work when we're not getting supplemental income. Why is this all about math? It's just such a cartoonishly silly debate. Well, it's like very symbolic. It's people have just been so dumbed down that they're just obsessed with the symbol of tyranny that they claim, you know, and then you have people like Ben Swan who are just grifting off that audience who release these cherry picked studies that say actually masks exacerbate um, the spread of illnesses like COVID, you know, and, and it actually increases your chance to get a respiratory illness. It's like, really? Huh. It's I feel like so... for the last hundred years, we've proven the opposite. Like you said, a hundred years ago, you can see during the Spanish flu of people in like in colonial garb holding signs saying, wear your mask. And it's like, here yeah. we are a hundred years later with all the information in the entire universe accessible through our computers. And we are the dumbest we've ever been where we just run contrary to all like science. And it's like, okay, so there's a global conspiracy from all the different world's governments that want us to just have this tyrannical reign of mask wearing. What the hell are you talking about? I mean, if you want to talk about, there's, there's, I, I'm totally down to have discussion about other act, you know, other aspects of you thinking this is a global conspiracy of some kind, like the vaccine manufacturers profiting, you know, corporations buying things up in fire sales when businesses mm -hmm. are forced to close down. I can get on board with the idea there's a conspiracy there, but the idea that there's a conspiracy to wear masks is the stupidest shit ever. I mean, go to any Asian country. If you, don't, if you haven't been out of the United States, fine. But understand that you go to any Asian country, you go to them decades ago, that you can buy surgical masks and masks in any convenience store because people there understand that it's a common courtesy if you have the flu, if you get even a cold, you wear a mask to not spread it to someone else. That's yeah, what other cultures do. Of their elders, yeah. We just throw throw them away in the trash. So it's just so population. It's just such a dumb, yeah, I'm an American. You can't control me. You can't make me cover my face. I mean, it's just so Base I can't level. breathe, Robbie. I can't breathe. How ironic oh that George Floyd said, I can't breathe. And now you're making us wear masks. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just sad. I mean, in my perfect world, I would want it to be an honor system thing. Like I would want people to all understand this is a common courtesy because on the other hand, like I don't want people to be fined, you know, thousands of dollars for forgetting to bring their mask, like in public, like that type of shit does bother me, but that's not the debate that people are having. If they wanted to have that debate, sure, I'll get on board that debate too. Let's talk about that. This is just all, this, you're, like you said, Abby, it's all about some kind of symbol of tyranny. And even I've seen a lot of dumb MAGAs saying like, this is like the burqa. You utopianist, you <laughs> fucking idealist in a perfect world, you fucking <laughs> socialist shill. I mean, yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that people don't understand the concept of mask wearing and they don't understand that it's not necessarily about you. It's about you having the common courtesy to prevent other people from getting it who maybe are susceptible, you know, have pre-existing yeah. conditions. It's just like, it's mental. I mean, you can't, where do you even, where do you even start, you know? And the political correctness thing that Trump said, like the fact that he's just mocked mask wearing this whole time and even Biden at the debate, uh, he said, you know, every time I see you, you're wearing the biggest mask I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> and like Tommy Lauren, that dumbass Fox News contributor girl, um, tweeted something like Joe Biden should be holding a purse with his mask. Like, because he's a fucking 
pussy or something. It's like what? So strange. <laughs> and it's so it's so weird because they're only knee jerking against like yeah, like only in this one very specific way, like like people like Alyssa Milano or Jake Tapper or these other celebrities who like post lots of selfies where they're always wearing masks. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. yeah, that shit's performative. It's dumb. It's babyish. There is a legitimate health concern here. Like I don't care how much you think that it's not deadly. It's a new virus that doesn't have a vaccine. And that's it's as simple as that. Right. So right. And, and the BLM stuff was I mean, to me, it was cool because it's like, okay, the more you can hide your face from the cops that are trying to like retroactively comb through these videos and try to fucking arrest people and like black bag protesters, it's like, great. I'm glad that we're all covering our faces. Like, that's a good thing. (laughs) It evades facial recognition as much as possible where we live in a police state. Yeah. You know? And I think maybe on some weird base reptile level, some conservatives were actually really terrified of that, of crime the idea of like rampaging yes. mobs of criminals wearing masks like purge style that, that's what they yeah. thought was happening yeah because with the mask it's like even more scary i mean it, it, right. it, to them so i think may, even though they're not talking about it i think on some level that's it's gotta have something to do with that i mean i'm more scared of cops who are wearing masks like i mean from the other side right. like that's scarier right. to me it feels right. like we're in the watchmen or something um, the HBO show, not the mm-hmm. masterpiece Alan Moore comic. But, I mean, it's creepy, to say the least. I mean, when you see a cop walking around with a mask, I was just getting takeout food somewhere, and a cop got behind me in line wearing a mask, and I just couldn't... The whole time, I'm just like, this is so creepy. Conclude the whole Trump COVID thing by just a couple more comments. I want you to go more into hydroxychloroquine and why you think Trump wasn't given the drug, the miracle cure that he was touting for so long. And also your comment or reaction to the fact that liberals immediately rehabilitated who they purported to be Hitler, um, a fascist who's implementing a coup. Um, And as much as we may agree with the fact that he is a cartoon fascist and you don't need to compare him to Hitler, you don't need to compare him to Mussolini or really any other leader in world history. He is his own unique brand of fascism. Like, you know what I mean? And so what, what was your reaction to all the liberals bending over backwards? Guess what? Their thoughts and prayers fucking worked. I'm doing welly, I think. I'm doing welly, I think. Yeah, that tweet he wrote was really weird. I mean, I still think that what that's I don't know why he would make such a bizarre typo, but in case anybody's not doesn't understand what Ab, what Abby just said, he typed a capital I for the second L in well, and it's just a very strange typo to make. I don't understand. I thought I think some of his tweets also where he's like what was the first one where he's like I think I'm doing fine. What do you remember what No, exactly? that was it. He's just I th- I'm doing well, I think. Yeah, I'm doing well, That's what well, he said. I'm think. doing welly, I think. But that yeah. was the typo. But he meant to say well. I'm doing well, I think. Um, but it's just hilarious. When's the last time you heard anyone say, like, I'm doing great, I think? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like it's like he's a baby. He wants people to yeah. feel sorry for him. Right. He's trying to garner sympathy. Yeah, the, I guess that is one of the grossest parts of this is to see all the same generic liberals who went after him for being Hitler now wishing him well and a fast recovery. And it's like... On some level, I have to think that some of those people doing that are doing it because it's the proper and civilized and, you know, appropriate thing to do. Some of them have to still wish Trump ill, in their, even in their hearts. Um, but on the other hand, at the same time, these people are elites and they are closer 
to what Trump represents than they are to any of us. So maybe some of it's very genuine. Maybe they very much authentically do want him to get better. I mean, it's honestly hard for me to tell, but yeah, it's truly disgusting. Watching the way Rachel Maddow talked about it was bizarre. Yeah, on the hydroxychloroquine point, I mean, it is very notable, and I'm, I am I am a little surprised that more media... I mean, there's so many different angles you cover the story, but I am surprised more people aren't talking about the fact that he he explicitly did not take hydroxychloroquine at, at any point during his COVID-19 regimen that he went into the hospital for. Now, that's very notable because Trump and his people and all of his political surrogates have been pushing and shoving hydroxychloroquine down our fucking throats, acting like it's not only the cure to COVID, but that everybody should be taking it and everybody should be asking for it if they ever get COVID. In fact, he should be taking it as a prophylactic. Trump claimed he was already on hydroxychloroquine like three months ago as a prophylactic. Well, that's not true because, first of all, you got it. How long were you on it for? You can't take hydroxychloroquine or any quinine like drug in that same class that long. They're not meant to be taken long term. In fact, Michael Savage, one of the only conservatives who pushed back against this, brought on a, a scientist on his talk show to talk about how hydroxychloroquine is a very brute force drug, that it's not something that a lot of people should be taking, and that it ca- can cause permanent neurological damage. Hydroxychloroquine can actually cause psychotic breaks. You can look it up online, look up psychosis and hydroxychloroquine. It actually can induce psychosis for someone who takes it for their very first time. It's very rare, but permanent neurological problems are actually not that rare with long-term hydroxychloroquine use. And in fact, there is data to suggest that anti-malarial drugs that were given to Vietnam soldiers in war caused a greater impact of PTSD and psychological and mental illness when they came back from the war. Because if you already have PTSD from a war and you're also taking a drug that can cause neurological illnesses, then it makes sense. And there's a, there's a lot of documentation that suggests that soldiers returning from Vietnam, they had much worse PTSD than they would have had otherwise had they not been taking anti-malarial drugs the whole time. So it is very bizarre how they've shoved this down our throats so hard. It's very bizarre how many different people are speaking dishonestly about it, including even the mainstream media, because the mainstream media is saying, you know, don't take this. It's dangerous. It's not recommended. There are a lot of doctors around the world who are using it, but the reality of hydroxychloroquine is this. It has been mass produced. The supply of it is ample. It's not in shortages anywhere. So when you think about this from a politicking point of view, Why did the Trump administration push this so hard? It's actually very easy to explain. It's because when you have these pandemic scenarios all gamed out, all governments have them, they have a checklist that they go down of if it's this kind of virus or disease, this is our number one choice for what treatment we'll use. If we don't have enough of that supply, this is our number two choice of what treatment we use. If we don't have enough of that supply, this is our number three choice. And then it keeps going down the list. Now, from what I understand, hydroxychloroquine is somewhere third or fourth on the list. Now, so if you take all that into account, it makes sense why all these politicians have tried to shove it down our throat, acting like it's the end-all cure, because they don't have a very good supply of all this other stuff that's way more effective. 
Hydroxychloroquine is like a generic. That's actually the polit political point that all these Trump people will use. It'll be like, the pharmaceutical companies are conspiring to against us from like wanting to use a generic. It's like, no, you fucking liar. You guys are collaborating with the pharmaceutical companies, trying to fast track a vaccine to try to line the pockets of all these companies too, you lying assholes. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the Trump administration is largely following a lot of the advice that Bill Gates has put out there and his institutions have put out there. So it's funny to me that people think there's this wide gulf between the two policies. I mean, in reality, Trump is probably following the exact same playbook. All this is political cover to prevent people from thinking that he fucked up on the pandemic. I guarantee you that's why we're here right now. It's not because this administration really believes the virus isn't dangerous and really believes that they don't need to like help people. It's 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 because it's just all politicking to cover up for Trump's fuck ups. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fascinating everything that you just broke down about hydroxychloroquine, because it would be so beneficial to have this cogently explained. You know, I've never really seen anyone explain it in the way that you just did in alternative media or corporate media. And it just seems really important to do because it's been such a hot topic promoted by the Trump administration and all of his sycophantic followers for so long. And it's just so it's just so absurd. There are probably political reasons for the media going against it, but there's definitely political reasons for the Trump administration and governments oh, yeah, around yeah, the yeah. world pushing it. So it doesn't make any sense. And people are like, well, they're using it in Italy. They're using it in Spain, blah, blah, blah. It's like. Well, yeah, they probably have a low stockpile of these other much more effective drugs, too. You fucking idiot. It's just like, it's just so obvious when you look at the stockpile scenario and these contingency plans that they had. Yeah, it makes sense why they're pushing a generic drug that has, that there's plenty of stock of all across the world on people because that's really the only choice they have. Yeah, definitely the most reprehensible aspect of the entire Trump contracting COVID scenario has been him receiving this top tier medical care, taunting the public about how COVID is no big deal. Meanwhile, no American, it doesn't even matter if you have the best healthcare available, no American can get the treatment that he did. Um, and just imagine the tens of millions of Americans that have lost their healthcare, lost their jobs, and it's just absolutely shocking and offensive to hear the president of the United States just saying like, yeah, you know, all this healthcare is available. We can easily beat this. Um, the best drugs are available, the best science, the best doctors. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? We live in a country with no healthcare and we're like living in a depression right now. Like, are you nuts, dude? And all of his followers are like, what a hero. Oh my God, he's so strong. He's so heroic. Like, can you believe it? They're just living in like a weird alternate reality cartoon land. I mean, to see Paul Joseph Watson. Oh, yeah. Like the total level, Chad, Chad maneuvering right the there. The level of just like pathetic bootlicker you would have to be mm -hmm. to tweet out like all that stuff about Trump being a Chad. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with him? I mean, does he have an actual hard on for Trump like Ben Garrison yes. putting like moose knuckles on Trump's body? Like yes. making Trump all skinny and buff in these pictures he writes. I mean, with a giant bulge. Yeah, I mean that's Paul Joseph Watson. It's weird. Yeah, it it's is weird. weird, man. And it's also weird how liberals like Rachel Maddow all of a sudden just said, "Yeah, this is just like your friend getting lung cancer after they smoked their whole lives." It's like, no, it's not, because my friend is an overseen 
genocidal policies that are responsible for the deaths of millions of people around the world. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? Trump is still starving and, ob- and bombing the people in Yemen. I mean, this is not oh just God, the Saudi yeah. Arabians doing this. This is with oh, our yeah. strategic military support. It's a genocide. Yeah, and he's the one who vetoed the legislation that could have actually ended the U.S. support for that war. But yeah, I mean, the liberal rehabilitation of Trump was probably one of the more disgusting parts of this whole spectacle, you know? It was just like, oh, okay, so we don't even need to, like, wait till he dies. It's just like immediately when he gets sick. And we don't even know the severity of the sickness. It was just like, boom, right when he gets sick, everyone's just like, oh, my God, I hope that he's okay, I really hope that he's okay. And they're like, you degenerates, you sick fucks for wishing death upon someone. It's like, what? This man wishes death upon his political enemies all the time. He's the one who's fucking defending Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old glove-wearing mass murderer who went out and had a shooting spree because someone threw a plastic bag at him. Like, what are we talking about here, guys? And it's also just so dumb, too. Like, the revisionist history people are like... I have never seen such like vitriol against a president who was in the hospital or against any politician. <laughs> when Reagan was in the hospital after, you know, an assassin attempted to kill him, every the whole country came together and everyone had solidarity. It's like, no, they didn't, you liar. Everyone at the time who wasn't like a hardcore conservative thought Reagan was a joke. They thought he had Alzheimer's. They were worried he was going to start a nuclear war because he was a puppet. He was not a beloved president. That's a total rewriting of history. Even by the end of his administration, even Republicans started to distance themselves from it after Iran-Contra and after all his quasi-Alzheimer slip-ups, where he says, I do not recall. You know, where he even used his dementia as like an excuse to not answer for his, you know, mm-hmm. take accountability for shit. He was a fucking joke. He got resurrected during the Bush era as being a hero after he died. People need to remember that. And to say that nobody was wishing him ill in the hospital, you know who was wishing him ill the most out of anybody during that time period when Reagan was in the fucking hospital after he got shot? George H.W. Copperfield Bush, because he wanted to be president. Of course. And he always wanted to be president. And so you're telling me that he wasn't excited hoping that Reagan would die so he could step in? Think about the Reagan era. It basically reversed. It was the 80s sort of backlash to the hippie era, the 70s liberalism. It was the revival of conservatism. You're telling me that people, boomers who were hippies, who lived through the 60s and 70s, didn't wish Reagan ill in the hospital? You're lying. Of course they did. Yeah, it's just all He's a monster. Nonsense. He's a neocon monster. Nonsense. It was even gross to see people like Glenn Greenwald chime in and, and say, yeah, um, it's just for clout on Twitter to wish death on the president. It's like, no, it's not. We're all cathartically like expressing our rage. It's like mass psychosis that this country's in. You know, it's like so fucking fractured and politically divided. And, and it's all because of his rhetoric and insanity and all of his supporters. It's like, yeah, it was cathartic to just like have a good time yeah, and make just- jokes. Like what happened to making jokes? What happened to being just funny and and you know if George Carlin were alive I'm sure that he would make a joke about this and not be like Norm Macdonald and be like you know at the very least don't laugh at this it's like why not this is hilarious Norm a fucking this hypocritical is baby man hilarious I think- for the president of the United States who downplayed this virus for months and months and months uh, we have the highest death toll in the entire world cases are over a thousand a day of people dying it's hilarious that the president contracted it because of his own ineptitude and incompetence yeah. that's hilarious
It is hilarious. And Norm Macdonald is a hypocrite. He's a baby. He He's one of those comedians who's a take-no-prisoners attitude, and he acts like he's not partisan, but he'll say some things sometimes where I'm just like, dude, that is the dumbest political, like, cookie-cutter right-wing shit ever, dude. Damn, that's Come really on, disappointing. Man. That's super and disappointing. It is, but, you know, he's... He, you know, you can't all what comedians have great politics, you know? Like, um, I mean, Dave Rubin, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dave Rubin. Um, who he, Q is now promoting, apparently. I forgot that Dave Rubin was even, even called himself a stand up comedian. Um, yeah, I mean, do you want to get into Q or should we jump to I would the, just um, really quickly give a little Q update before we move on about, okay. about how he'd never really, or whoever they are running the account, like there was never really a narrative about Trump contracting COVID, right? And how it fits into the larger arrest scheme. Well, yeah, let me actually, let's do a little checkup on Q right now. Because so when we recorded originally, it was a couple days after Trump got the virus. And let me see if Q has said anything about it. Nope. So, okay. So as of... <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. So Trump got the virus when? The 30th of September? Or on the first, uh, like Thursday. I don't know. I don't know what day okay. last Thursday was. So QAnon. Okay, so I should make a distinction. Yeah, the Q- first ish. Q is the poster. QAnon are the followers. So there's actually a wide gulf and a big difference between what QAnon followers are saying right now about what Trump would happen to Trump and then what Q and Q is posting. So Q has actually just gone in a much more generic, like electoral politics, like partisan direction which is kind of pathetic. And it's sort of interesting just to see how like fuddy-duddy, senile, boring Q has been and how like exciting and like science fiction-y and wild the QAnon supporters have been during this COVID, uh, you know, Trump getting COVID. So Q hasn't said anything at all about Trump getting COVID. It's actually been curiously silent for the last six days. Amazing. Which is interesting. Um, It probably... Can't whoever's posting as it couldn't think of a clever enough narrative of how to spin this one, right? But what's really especially disgusting and p- quite pathetic, I think, uh, is that on October 1st, the last and newest Q post as of this recording is starting with a Dave Rubin tweet, literally <laughs> copy and pasting a Dave Rubin tweet. And when you click on the tweet, it's Dave Rubin whining like a little bitch about how Trump had to disavow white supremacy more than once. What and a little baby. The actual Q post posts the Dave Rubin tweet about that and then says, D, party con, D, party playbook. Who are the real racists? The world is waking up, Q. It's just like, this is garbage, dude. You senile <laughs> fucking neocon <laughs> idiot. Whoever's writing this shit, punch it up, dude. Your followers want the red meat that they're not getting. Your followers right now... Yeah, think this right. is the storm. They think Trump right. is being put into a fake hospital for cover because they think Trump's tweet where he says we're going to get through this together is code for arresting Hillary Clinton. QAnon supporters are thinking that it is code to get her. They think it's the storm, wow. man. They think she's about to go down. And instead, Q is just nonsensically going on this old beat about the CDC and the WHO. Oh, God. Trump's own followers aren't even on that talking point anymore, man. You're fucking, you're like delayed by like a month. So here's what, here's what Q's uh, post was a couple of days before the Dave Rubin promotion. 
Spy campaign failed. Russia, Russia, Russia failed. Weissman failed. Leaks failed. Fake news reports failed. Impeachment failed. CDC, WHO recommend do not close border failed. What if C-19 didn't exist? Economy today? Unemployment today? Trade today? Rally POTUS versus Biden attendance? Biden interviews non-basement? Biden questions non-basement? Removal of delays, Durham interview testimony, D-Class J. Removal of Biden ammunition, P-Debate 1, 2, and 3. 200K dead, dead, down economy, unemployment, debt, question mark. Removal of mail ballot in harvesting plus fraud. Removal of tech censorship and WHO Foundation, anti-WHO suspend, terminate, C-19 basis. Removal of bailout attempt, re-CA and NY debt solution mathematical probability of C19 event a solution to above perfectly timed window of opportunity start impact November 3rd be elected D who benefits the most provided WH strip CDC controls of C19 data bigger than you can imagine Q it's just like fucking nonsense yeah it's like some weird algorithmic churning out of like a computer I mean it's just nonsensical it's baby garbage yeah yeah Here's the previous one more tweet. It's just Red October, all caps. And these are all from the same day. Q blasted yeah. off about 10 posts in the same day that are just like all nonsense, either very short or these long cryptic poems that make no sense and are frankly out of date from the political, the political framing that Trump supporters are in right now. They're not even they're not talking about the WHO anymore or the CDC right now. They're on a whole other direction. They're all mm -hmm. about BLM. They're all about rounding up Antifa. So it's interesting to see that Q is just sort of not tapped in right now. And that's sort of bizarre to me. I don't quite understand why that is. Um, but it's just I've never seen Q sink to the level, the scraping the bottom of the barrel and promoting Dave Rubin before. That's a whole other low, I think. It's It actually kind of makes me sad. I was kind of excited to see what Q was going to do before the election. If this is it, this is this is really sad. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like Q supporters have just taken on a whole other life of their own in terms of what Q is saying. I mean, they've they've just gone they have. off the reservation of interpreting God knows what, like just Trump's tweets and just taking them and running with them. You know, they don't even need Q to be posting really at, at all anymore. I think you're right. Um, they can they, they decode things on their own now. You yeah. know, even that you saw the thing where Trump was walking down, um, holding the handrail, going uh -huh. to the Marine One. They already like Q and odd supporters without any Q from Q, uh, just all said that that was Morse code, and they started interpreting it and and Great. saying that it meant the storm was coming and all this cool. stupid shit. Cool. Yeah. Very very cool. So you're right. They're not gonna. It doesn't matter. I think you're. It, it almost doesn't matter if Q posts at this point. It's yeah. Right. Yeah, his supporters are completely insane and, uh, you know, God knows what they're going to do next and, and say that Q is directing next because it's not about about the postings anymore. Yeah. Really briefly, presidential debate, um, it was a complete shit show. It was pretty much as bad as I expected it to be. I don't really want to get stuck on this too much. Trump steamrolled the fuck out of Joe Biden. Chris Christie apparently told him, you know, the more you interrupt him, the more stammering, stuttering Joe Biden will look senile and mentally unwell. I don't really think that that was the case. I mean, he definitely just aesthetically just crushed him. You know, energetically, if someone's just like looking and watching the two people 
quote unquote debating. You couldn't really call it a debate yeah. because Trump is such a pathological lying baby who didn't really say anything accurate. But I mean, just like the feel of it was just like Trump totally yeah. dominated. Joe Biden could barely muster out an answer or a sentence. The fact that he couldn't even cogently or coherently crush or give some sort of sound answer about a election integrity where Trump is doing all this batshit crazy nonsense saying that millions of ballots are being found in the rivers and trash cans and all of that. It's just like such fake shit, right? And Trump is every day egging on militias to go guard the polling places to intimidate voters, talking about how we can't trust the mail-in ballots, talking about how the election is going to be rigged, right? All of this stuff. And Biden couldn't even address any of it. All he did was look in the at the audience and he was just like, vote, vote. This election depends on you. You just got to show up and vote. Um, or the COVID question. The fact that he couldn't crush Trump in terms of, you know, a disease that's taken the lives of 210,000 Americans unnecessarily, all of Trump's incompetence in handling this illness, and Biden could barely stammer his way through that or talk about how dangerous it is. Well, of course, he wouldn't address the China thing because he has ads himself calling Trump a China puppet. So yeah. I guess they're, you know, they're... Uh, there's like dueling narratives of who can be stronger on China, but how dangerous that was to blame China. Um, how dangerous it's all been, right? The mask mandate, all of this stuff. It, it was so sad and pathetic. Apparently people said Biden won, but really who was making up their mind watching that debate, Robbie? I mean, the same people who maybe decide on election day these random weirdos who are undecided voters who just show up to the polls and they're like, you know what? Both of these people really care about the country. I'm just going to make up my mind on election day. I'm just going to see what happens. Like who is watching these debates and actually not understanding like who they should vote for, you know, or really well, like yeah. anything about politics at all. So I don't really know what what these debates did in terms of the polling or anything like that. I think Trump was just doubling down to his base like he always does. And um, it was depressing and I just couldn't handle it. I mean, to be honest, it was a pretty stressful, a stressful event. I, I didn't have fun watching it at all. Part of me wanted Biden to do well. I don't know why, because I guess I just hate Trump. I got Trump derangement syndrome, dude, where I just want Biden to just do a good job yeah. and make him look dumb. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just really felt uncomfortable watching the whole thing. And I was just like, damn, like the fact that he cannot muster anything that really just puts Trump in place and just lets Trump just interrupt him a million times. I was afraid that people would just be like, well, Trump just is strong. And that's where we're looking for a strong candidate that I can drink a beer with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine any this elusive independent voter at this point in this country's timeline. I mean, because all these like news networks, they always like to have these panels at the end of every debate where it's like we ha we got a panel together of independent voters. It's like, really? Did you? Because mm -hmm. I don't believe you. I mean, I, how many people do you know in real life who are like, you know what? I'm not sure who I want to vote for. I mean, come on. Like, so the people who self-identify as independent, I think they're mostly not not really. I mean, they're lying pretty much. Um, so that's weird in of itself to think that there's even anybody, those people right now. And I mean, I was actually, I had a slightly different take on it because I was actually surprised at first that I thought Biden started really strong. 
um, that I was really surprised that his first few answers and first few like performances, you know, going to the answers were surprisingly strong. He actually made it through several full sentences. That's how low the bar is for me in terms of <laughs> Biden actually, you know, coming out ahead. So at first I was like, oh, wow, like he's not stuttering. He's not stammering. He's not saying anything really weird. And then as the debate went on and on, you can tell that he was losing his cool. But it was also a little bit of like a performative phony losing his cool because yeah, these scripted insults. rebuttals that he had. Yeah, yeah like, scripted rebuttals like you're a, you're a clown and shut up, you're the, man. Yeah, shut up, man. And you're the worst president we've ever had. Like he said that at one point. And, you know, yeah, Joe Biden loses his cool and he and he gets hot under the collar. But I saw that as just kind of performative and not really, really real. Um, and Trump, you said that Trump just came out looking strong. I mean, probably the most cartoonish example of that that I thought was really interesting was Chris Wallace brings up, or no, Chris Wallace brings up a question about the masks, and Biden's response was something like, uh, Fauci or the CDC has said that we could have saved 500,000 more lives initially had we put doing a mask mandate. And then Trump said, wrong, it's the opposite. <laughs> and 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 instead of... <laughs> Instead of anyone like saying, well, what do you mean, sir? It's the opposite. You mean 500,000 people will die from taking that? Like no one rebutted Trump with that, but it's just funny because it sounds like cartoonishly strong. Like, nope, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it makes no, it makes no logical sense. Like, are, like, what does that even mean? Because there's no evidence to suggest that 500,000 people would die or that really anybody would die from wearing masks. So it's nonsensical strongman talk that sounds good and hits that reptile brain, but it ultimately, it does not make any sense. And I was also a little bit struck by how much Trump was doubling down and downplaying COVID in the debate itself. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that. Um, And that was probably to me the most shocking thing is how much he was downplaying mass, um, just his general attitude towards it in the debate. Like, I don't, again, I don't believe for a second that he's authentically believes those things. I think he's only doing it to continue to double down and save his own image. But it's a strange choice to make when you see it on the debate stage, the president of the United States downplaying it. Yeah, Um, especially two days later when he contracts it. Yeah, and did you hear about the protest that his family did at the debate? This is really ugly. They sat down, all wearing masks, and not just his family, but also his aides. And as soon as the debate started, they all in unison took off their masks like a Karen protest. Almost Mm. like, Abby... Almost like they were hoping that security would grab them so they could make a scene and be, do a presidential family Karen video. I swear to God, that's, I almost can't think of another reason why they would have done that. I mean, it's, it's honestly like just really bizarre. They'd be like, fuck your rules. We're taking it off as a symbolic wow. gesture. It's like, what on earth are they doing? I mean, wow. what, is your, what is your explanation for that? I mean, I don't have one. I, I, I didn't know that, but. Yeah. I mean, again, just signaling to the base. It's just hilarious that two days later, all of these Republicans contracted from this super spreader event. I'm just trying to think of like, were they doing it for the cameras? Were they hoping that Fox News would do a whole segment, patting them on the back for it? Like what possibly could have been going through their minds? Because someone told them to do that. I mean, if it wasn't Trump, someone's like, yeah, take off your mask once you all sit down. 
Um, I'm surprised that no one covered it. It seems like something that the corporate media would belabor for 72 hours straight and just rehash over and over again how outrageous it was that they did that. So I'm surprised. Yeah, they. I mean, they did a little surprised. bit. Chris Wallace mm -hmm. was really angry about it. Um, but yeah, I didn't see very much coverage about it at all. But it, nobody was proud of it. So like, if that was their attempt to get like, you know, get like points for that. They didn't get any. I saw someone say, Joe Biden, why didn't you call Trump fat? Like, that's what got you to the dance, baby. Like calling all these people on the campaign trail fat. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, but by far the most disturbing part was Trump fomenting all of this um, hatred toward the left. You know, a lot of people got stuck on the white supremacy denunciation and a lot of people got stuck, and this was the headline pretty much primarily after the debate, was the Proud Boys stand by and stand back when the second part of what he said was almost everything I see in terms of violence is from the left wing, not the right wing. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. Somebody's got to do something about the left. What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right Proud Boys. Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. His this is a left-wing This is a left-wing problem. That is absolutely bone-chilling. Whether or not he's signaling to the Proud Boys or groups like the Proud Boys that, you know, in the context of the violence that's occurring at these BLM rallies, they're okay. It's legitimized because someone's got to do something about the left or if it's him and his policies, which we already know he's defended outright people like Kyle Rittenhouse and the Proud Boys and stuff like that. And also said, you know, that other guy who shot back in self-defense at the, at the Trump supporters spraying mace at him, he actually signaled to federal authorities to like go hunt him down. And then we all know what happened later, like a couple Minutes later, the guy was actually executed by federal agents. Um, witnesses say that he did not brandish a weapon. So it's all very sketchy. It's really scary when this rhetoric actually has consequences that we see directly after he makes statements like this. But that to me was by far the scariest part of the debate when he said someone's got to do something about the left. And no one really picked up on that. It was more just like, oh, the fact that he said Proud Boys stand by and stand back. I mean, yeah. it's just really crazy because it all comes down to the left, whether it's Nancy Pelosi or BLM or Antifa, everyone to the slight left of right wing, like fascist, cartoonish right wing politicians are radical leftists who need to be put down, you know, and you just see this <laughs> yeah. over and over again promoted and it's... It's pretty terrifying shit, you know? And then you have the liberals making these false equivalencies between communists and fascists and Nazis. And it's just scary shit because I know a lot of communists. Um, I am a socialist. This is a really, really dangerous rhetoric to be putting out there, basically advocating violence against the left. And the fact that his son, Donald Trump Jr., is tweeting out videos calling for, quote, every able-bodied man and woman to join the army for Trump's election security operation, we need you to help us watch them. God. You know, this is like essential recruitment of violent vigilantes. It I'm is. not saying that Proud Boys is the most dangerous threat that we face. Obviously, there's not that many of them, but there's copycat groups. There's all these people like we see in Portland, trucks and trucks of armed militia people going out to taunt and threaten peaceful protesters. And we see what happens 
at these events, and we'll see who's protected afterward. We saw what happened in Kenosha. We saw the police chief actually say it was Kyle Rittenhouse who was essentially the victim. He said if these people didn't stay out after curfew, and Kyle Rittenhouse basically came to like protect order. We saw the cops giving them water bottles. We saw them saying, we really appreciate you guys. You know, we, yeah. we see that he'll probably get off on self-defense. And we see what happens when the opposite, someone on the opposite of the political spectrum actually does the same thing, which is kill someone in self-defense, allegedly, and then they're just immediately murdered. Yeah. Uh, that That's pretty crazy, right? And it's just going to get crazier. The tensions are so high and ratcheted up to such an extreme degree that the election could be a, a really, really serious flashpoint for this political violence, depending on what happens. And what scares me is that, you know, people are speculating that the mail-in ballots will be for Joe Biden. Trump might win the initial votes because people aren't scared of COVID and they are being signaled by their crazy leader yeah. and the cult leader to just come vote in person. So we could see enormous discrepancies in terms of the votes. Trump is already... Um, sowing all this division and distrust of the electoral system to basic, basically prep people to not trust the results. Let's say if Biden wins ultimately with the mail-in ballots, this could just be all hypothetical, but still, it could be some pretty serious shit that happens, and it could take weeks to actually find out what the results are. All of this could be completely exaggerated. We don't know. But the thing is, the fact that we're even questioning it and the fact that there could be like complete political chaos and anarchy and violence in the streets, depending on what Trump does or does not do. And that's scary enough. It's, it is scary enough. And I think you raise several good points. I mean, first of all, I think that the focus on the Proud Boys of a group is ultimately a distraction. And I think that it gives Gavin McGinnis, way too much credit. I mean, the guy wants attention. He obviously wants negative attention. Oh, did you attention. see him out front of Walter Reed, too? Like, yeah, of he course. showed up as part of the crowd? Yeah. Of course. I mean, so I'm not saying that the Proud Boys isn't dangerous or aren't violent. I'm saying that you're pouring too many eggs into that basket. Like, look at what's happening on the streets. Like Abby said, there are roving gangs of like full on militia people with assault rifles wearing full military garb with bulletproof vests. They almost look indistinguishable from like people as part of like military troops. That those people, maybe some of them identify as proud boys, but I think we've gone way beyond these, you know, white nationalist light diet groups like the Proud Boys who put a Cuban black man as their head of their organization, obviously to like shield themselves from criticisms about being racist, which is just hilarious to me. We've gone to the point now where I'm a lot less concerned about these white nationalists or fascists that are part of these groups. I'm much more concerned about like the Trump bootlickers who want to protect their dear leader and are getting armed in the streets wearing bulletproof vests. Like, I'm sure some of them are very racist, but just the fact that they're doing that in defense of their president, to me, is the most dangerous thing of all. And that is a very real possibility that those people are going to be increasing numbers and will do something at the actual election voting day because it's not just Don Jr. who's been saying this. Roger Stone, about three months ago on Infowars, spun it a different way. He actually cleverly said that BLM and Antifa gangs are going to be going to polling stations to intimidate Trump voters, so we need counter-protests at polling places with people to fight against BLM and Antifa. What Don Jr. is doing is more direct, but what Roger Stone did, he's setting up that, that play to fear-monger people so they'll feel that 
it's like in defense of their rights rather than like it's some, just an aggressive so made act. up. Of it's course. so made up. All this fantastical thinking that's just like so devoid of actual reality. The fact that they're actually saying that BLM and Antifa, which like Biden said, that was probably one of the best things he said. He was like, Antifa is a tactic, not an organization. <laughs> it's yeah. like, whoa, who coached you on that one? But it's true. It's like, it's just outrageous to think that there's some sort of like coordinated um, violent vigilantes who are the anti-fascists, like going to intimidate Trump voters. That literally Antifa plane, does Abby. not happen. Huh? There was a plane. There was a plane of Antifa. Oh, yeah. Oh, remember the van with all the people with the signs? Yeah, yeah the U-Haul. The U-Haul van. Yeah. When there's when there's right-wingers doing the same thing. I mean, so like the right-wingers had a giant Winnebago where they were like handing out like bulletproof vests, shields, yeah, yeah. and they even had like ammunition and all this shit. A little scarier than posters, but... If you want to get into the conspiracy muck about this being some kind of color revolution, that it's only Antifa and BLM, you just have to be a moron because to me, the only proper conspiracy narrative would be this is a Gladio style op where like both sides have been cointelproed. I mean, that's if you're, only look, if you're only looking from the conspiracy angle of one side, you're just like partisan. And I'm not saying that I think that that's happening. Um, but I mean, I do think Cointelpro in general is a serious concern here because like, let's for, say, for example, Abby, the Boogaloo boy who shot the um, Oakland security guard at the uh, Homeland Security Federal Office in Oakland. And for a week and a half, the entire right wing media spun that as an Antifa BLM assassination of a cop. Now, that Boogaloo boy seemingly was almost trying to do his own false flag. He seemingly wanted the media to believe it was done by the other side, so to speak. So if, we're, if we actually have these, these crazy armed people doing their own false flags like themselves, then I'm also concerned about what the feds can do infiltrating either side of the situation. And I of mean, course. both. So of I think course. both are a concern when you have the actual armed protesters attempting to do their own false flag attacks. And then you yeah. have the possibility of Cointelpro. I mean, the guy you just mentioned who said that um, he, he shot the man in self-defense who was later hunted down by the marshals and, and just seemingly killed in yeah. cold blood. He's on video saying that he thinks Cointelpro has like infiltrated the even hit the Antifa side to a large degree. And he's able to like he, he's I mean, he's claiming this. So that's I mean, these are all very real things. Cointelpro did not go away. I mean, they infiltrated Black Panthers. They try to infiltrate a lot of other left groups. Of course. And, you know, I think all it will take at this point is a horrible act of violence that will be blamed on one side or the other and think it could really create a flashpoint scenario. If it wasn't already Kyle Rittenhouse, if it wasn't already these different things that have happened before, I mean, it really it will not take much, I think, for things to erupt. And let's hope to God there is not a fucking, like, armed militias going around while people are voting. I mean... I really hope that yeah. doesn't happen. That sounds like a nightmare scenario. But I mean, we've already seen these things getting really, really, really uh, scary. So Michael Reinohel, probably saying his name wrong. Um, really sorry about that. But yeah, that that's the guy who was shot in cold blood by federal authorities. That's the one who said he was scared that Quintelpro had infiltrated Antifa. He also said that he didn't turn himself into the police because he was worried that these right-wing militia groups were working in concert with the police. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, he was killed either way. Oh, I remember what he said. I just wanted to quickly interject. He said that some of the disruptors 
that were like getting negative coverage in Portland were he believed they were feds, like who were in totally not surprised on his side. I mean, who knows? You know, he did seem like a little bit paranoid from I've heard him talking, but I mean, it's logical to assume there's infiltrators. This shit can be really devastating, you know. I mean, you say something and someone's an infiltrator and someone's taping you or whatever, it's not a joke. So even just look at James O'Keefe, he's offering like $10,000 to people to like go on camera and like rat on people. Even just that, even if we're not talking about the federal government, it's like this type of shit happens all the time. You do have to be really careful about who you trust. I mean, just be smart out there, I think. Well, let's talk about James O'Keefe because it just came out today that he was offering bribes um, of $10,000 to people to claim that they were quote unquote ballot harvesting for Elon Omar's campaign. Let's just get this out of the way. Ballot harvesting is a legal tactic in several states. In fact, I have done it before in California. You receive ballots on behalf of disabled people or the elderly and bring them to the polling centers and drop them off for people. It is not an illegal or sinister tactic at all. It sounds crazy when you have crazy little agitprop fraudsters like James O'Keefe making some sort of crazy scheme about it, but it's really not a big deal. But that's not even what was happening because the guy that was on tape in the Project Veritas video um, apparently was paid $10,000 to claim that he was ballot harvesting for Elon Omar. And all that's in the video, if you actually watch it, the first five minutes is this guy who is allegedly part of a, quote, Somali watchdog group who's Somali himself, right? So one of these turncoats who's like, oh, yeah, my community is super dangerous and I'm fucking racist against my own people because we're just dangerous terrorists who are ready to snap. Um, so this guy, apparently this group was like concocted in the wake of the video. It wasn't, didn't even exist before. He's in the car talking about how you need money to win elections, and he claims that he has all these ballots uh, on behalf of Elon Omar. All of it was fake. There was actually no slam dunk or any evidence whatsoever, even if it was true. Turns out he was paid by James O'Keefe. That's what makes it so much more embarrassing. Even if you didn't even know who James O'Keefe was or Project Veritas, Veritas was, the fact that there actually was no evidence, that there is no there there, of this video whatsoever, and the fact that it was actually directed and designed to undermine one of the most vocal anti-imperialists in Congress to the extent, I mean, it's a pretty low bar, right? Mm -hmm. Elon Omar is pretty vocal about U.S. empire and wars and militarism. So the fact that Tulsi Gabbard, who is allegedly this anti-war hero, jumped on board of an agitprop right-wing propaganda campaign to undermine Elon Omar is absolutely mortifying. I mean, it's mortifying, but it's also, I feel like we could have seen this coming. Like, I'm actually surprised she hasn't tried <laughs> to go after Elon Omar already because there is something suspicious about Tulsi Gabbard. There's something that's not quite right about her. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever doesn't matter how much you've dug your heels into being one of her supporters. Just think for a second. How does it make sense that someone in 2015 who espoused dozens of neocon beliefs has evolved to being an anti-neocon, anti-war person only five years later with virtually no explanation? You don't need an explanation of why she was confused about torture in 2015 and how she's against torture now. You, you don't need an explanation for that. 
You don't need it explained that she went to a Christians United for Israel event in 2014 and shared a stage with Netanyahu and praised a, a Hawaiian senator who had an Israeli missile battery named after him. And she talks about how high of an honor it is for Daniel Inouye to have a missile battery in Israel named after him. How is this an anti-war person? How did she evolve out of being a neocon Zionist to be an anti-war? Why are we not talking about the fact that she was floated for a cabinet position in the Trump administration and Bannon loves her? Why does Bannon love her more than any of these other supposedly anti-war people? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because there's something really fucking weird about the fact that she's constantly dog whistling to Islamophobic people and she's slyly pushing neocon rhetoric on the war on terror constantly out of the other side of her mouth. One side of her mouth, she's claiming she hates neocons and doesn't want to escalate the Cold War with Russia. Even though, by the way, she voted for the $300 million weapon supplemental for Ukraine and never explained why she's against it now. In fact, she hasn't done any legislation or anything to go back on that. She's just rhetorically claiming she's against escalating. But Robbie, people said it's not about Project Veritas. You know, okay, yeah, oh, it might have been bad yeah. that she promoted Project Veritas. It's about her election integrity initiative, Robbie. This fake bill that actually is an empty bill that's about voter fraud. Election integrity, quote unquote, is really about a non-existent issue that panders directly to Trump's base and bolsters Trump's talking points himself about fucking voter fraud that doesn't exist. And voter fraud in other ways does exist. That's the sad part. And it's like, instead, it's just this dog shit Republican narrative version of it. I mean, it's just really sad. And I still question the judgment of anyone out there who's serious about anti-war who trusts Tulsi Gabbard. Well, especially it's at this absolutely point. baffling to me. Because when, when she promoted the Project Veritas thing, I was like, okay, now mask fully off. How could possibly people defend her now? And guess what? They still did. Of course. Nico House, all these people, they were just like, okay, well, what about fucking Bernie? It's like, or what about really, AOC? Dude? Really, you know, dude? It's just, it's deflection. I mean, and the fact that AOC went after Tulsi is a big deal. And now everybody's just going to bash a AOC. They're going to deflect and smear. Everything I'm saying is true. She did a secret council on foreign relations talk in Hawaii. She hosted it. People are like, oh, yeah, she was a member of the CFR brief. No, she hosted her own talks in Hawaii where there are no records. There's no minutes. We don't know what was talked about. She invited a bunch of CFR members to yeah. come to Hawaii. The what standard that they apply about? to Bernie, AOC, all of these people who are on the left, the actual left, by the way, not Tulsi. Um, the standard doesn't apply to Tulsi. Tulsi can do no wrong. And whenever she does do something questionable, it's always about, well, what about them? What about them? Well, they don't promote Julian Assange. It's like, well, guess what? She didn't either until it was politically convenient. And guess what? She has a month left of serving her term out. I think Tulsi's whole quote unquote ideology, which you can't really call it an ideology because all it is, is an anti-democratic establishment narrative. And it's very unclear what she actually believes in. All we can glean is from her votes, which is this weird, constant pandering to Republicans, right? The present on impeachment. Um, but yeah, it was just always kind of this anti-democratic establishment current that she promoted. And that's not really enough to hinge an ideology on. And, um, you know, and, and I guess I should have 
taking it at face value, her over-friendly attitude toward Meghan McCain all the time, oh, yeah. them exchanging all these funny jokes and cute little, you know, compliments to each other. And I guess the Project Veritas thing just came out of the blue to me. I mean, you probably weren't surprised. I was pretty shocked because Project Veritas is such a di- discredited joke organization. Which is you such know, a partisan, such a weaponized ridiculous, outlet. Well, of course. Yeah. Well, of course. But it's like as absurd as like promoting Infowars to me. I agree. You know, it's like everything they've done has been proven false. It's all completely a joke. And it's really just for the dumbest Republicans out there that believe it and think it's somehow credible, like slam dunk shit. Um, And the fact that it was going after Elon Omar was just the icing on the cake, you know, especially with all this Islamophobic um, background. And then, Robbie, two days later, after she is absolutely slammed and ridiculed to no end, she promotes Dan Crenshaw, posts that Instagram story wearing an eye patch, saying, thanks to Instagram, I can look like my friend, Dan Crenshaw, one of the most virulent Islamophobes and disgusting racists in Congress. What the fuck was that, dude? It was just dude? a neocon sack of shit. I mean, yeah. it's funny to me that Dan Crenshaw, I mean, this is where uh, it gets even weirder. So Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein, the two sus IDW you know, figureheads now, um, now that Dave Rubin's kind of like put in the dustbin of, of being a fucking pod person moron that nobody even cares about anymore. So these other two guys have sort of taken over the IDW, and they have this new thing now called Unity 2020, where it's about bridging the left and the right. And they're, two of their favorite candidates for Unity 2020 are Tulsi Gabbard and Dan Crenshaw. So when I saw Tulsi Gabbard yucking up with Dan Crenshaw, I'm thinking, huh, is she coming IDW now? Is she getting in with the Weinstein Ooh. boys? I mean, you should see the people, some of the people who have endorsed this Unity 2020 thing are really surprised me. Fascinating. I mean, it's just like, why would you endorse something that's obviously an op? This guy works for Peter Thiel. Why aren't we talking about Peter Thiel anymore? Oh, maybe it's because he sued Gawker out of existence and journalists are afraid to talk about him because right. they're worried they will lose their employment. There's something really odd going with on with the IDW, but I don't mean to digress too much about that. It's just super obvious there's something weird about her and not even just her platforms, but the way her campaign operated like a cult. I mean, paid campaign surrogates attacked me in ways that were just utterly bizarre online. And I'm just thinking, so you guys are getting paid by the Tulsi campaign to attack me like this? This is really yeah, not a good look, hu- man. Her husband like attacking oh, Kyle Kalinske when he had the most tepid... Oh. Just milk toast criticism of Tulsi. I just remembered this when Jank Uger was interviewing her, and he was like, "So do you call yourself a progressive?" And she just like was silent. <laughs> and he was like, "He was like, well, are you a progressive?" And she was like, "Yes." And he was like, "Of course, of course, you are." Like the fact that he even had to ask is really sad. Well, it it is sad and it's weird and confusing. And I mean, in in, in Virgil, Texas from Chapa Trap House asked her in person if she would consider herself an anti-imperialist. And she she didn't say no overtly, but her answer was basically no, she's not. Right. Yeah, because she's only against uh, regime change wars, Robbie. And I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't mean to offend any of our new listeners or anybody who's been listening to us for a while who still likes her, but come on, how could you say you're a hawk on terror and still be anti-war. The war on terror is this excuse for endless war. We don't need your toxic energy in this scene. We are anti the war on terror. We are anti-imperialism. We are anti 
these U.S. wars. So to make a distinction between that the war on terror is good and these quote-unquote regime change wars are bad, it's extremely toxic. The most disturbing part to me, it's like I never really felt like she was a genuine person even in her positions. And so... Yeah, there was just always something weird about her whole persona and not to mention the cultish, sycophantic fans that will still stand for her even after she promotes a discredited right-wing agitation propaganda campaign to discredit Elon Omar in an Islamophobic sense. It's very sad. Um, I don't think there's any reaching those people. You know, I it's it's unfortunate because I think that some of them perhaps mean well, you know, some of them care about anti-war stuff. I know stuff, some but of them, yeah. It's time, to, it's time to let it go, you guys. I don't know what else you need. What else do you need to understand that Tulsi's a fraud? Um, but, you know, I, at least I felt vindicated. The Joe Biden endorsement was one thing. You know, you could never really reach those people because they'd always just throw the Bernie endorsed him later thing back in your face. But this is just a whole other level of insanity. It, it is. really is. It's just like laughably insane well, um, to promote Project Veritas in a serious manner. So, Well, one thing I think people missed, and this is also kind of interesting because her, her campaign employees, her media manager, went on The Blaze which is a little bit cool. weird in and of itself to go on the blade. Because, you know, I don't see very many of her campaign circuits actually going on like left-wing outlets or media outlets very often. Um, they only go on these shows that are just like really anti-Democrat that curiously don't go after Trump or the Republicans. So that's interesting. But this guy who went on the blaze, he was very proud of the fact, and if you watch his appearance on the blaze, it's very strange because he's almost implying, he's trying to, he's like, He's like, do you notice who on that debate stage like didn't attack Joe Biden and who actually like was like really polite to him and tried to help him? He's like, it was Tulsi. And he's like trying to point the host to all these examples of how Tulsi actually helped Biden. And he was acting like super proud of it. And I'm thinking, wait, so are you saying that this was she was just there to help Biden the whole time? Like, what are you actually saying? It's a little bit cryptic and strange to listen to this interview. So I implore people to actually check it out. The great irony behind all of this is that the only Democratic candidate in the race who was willing to publicly defend Joe Biden was Congresswoman Gabbard. She went on CBS News a few weeks prior to those debates and said that Kamala Harris had hatched a political ploy to smear Joe Biden at best calling him a segregation apologist, and at worst calling him an outright racist. So <laughs> it boggles my mind how, you know, the media has spun this. He's implying it was actually really good what Tulsi did when she went to the mat for Biden after Kamala attacked him, you know, that night and things like that. So it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird. You kind of wonder Very what weird. her role was there. I think, I mean, I still wonder... I don't take her seriously, so I'm still wondering what her whole deal is. And I, to me, it's still an, an enigma. It is. That's a perfect word to describe it. It is an enigma. I don't know what her play is ultimately. It's very strange. The whole trajectory has been very, very strange. And here we are, Robbie. Here we are with this crazy-ass election cycle where Trump has covid Biden is a doddering old fool. Um, the polls are now showing that Biden is beating Trump by 16 points. I, again, like apparently the polls are way different than they were in 2016. I don't believe polling. I don't know if there's a lot of 
underreported Trump voters who are maybe embarrassed to say that they're voting for Trump when they're polled by these polling centers. I don't really know what to expect. I think that it's going to be completely unpredictable and it's going to be really crazy to see what happens, especially in the age of, you know, the pandemic, the BLM uprising, these militias on standby. It's going to be nuts, you know, and we have a president who's who's signaling that he might not leave and that he's not going to trust the results. So we're in for a wild ride. The election's only three weeks away. I just can't believe it's this soon. And it's going to be devastating either way, right? I mean, it's, it's it is. there's no good outcome here. We'll just have to adapt to a new program to fight. I mean, that's... Yeah, right. And, and, and we already know with more or less, we talked to Branko on a previous episode, we know what a Biden presidency will probably look like. It's not going to be pretty. It's also going no. to be scary for perhaps very different reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I would almost say a Biden presidency is more predictable. It's still going to be scary. Yes. Still going to be yes. a rodeo where we're going to have to be fighting every day. Tr- a second term of Trump is very scary, very unpredictable. And I, I see his movement at this point as scarier than him. Um, let's thank God that he's not someone as ideologically committed and as competent as Adolf Hitler or even as Mussolini. He is, as you said, a cartoon representation of fascism. I believe that he doesn't even think about things for more than like a day at most. He's so scatterbrained that we, that's actually one of the best possible things that's happening right now is that Trump does not follow through on these fascist Mm -hmm. promises a lot of the time that he makes. But on the other hand, there's all these other things happening in the background that just don't get coverage because he's so cartoonish. Like he's apparently about to launch a travel ban, extending the Muslim travel ban template to ban anybody remotely associated with the Chinese Communist Party. Well, guess yes, what? No, yes. Most yes, yes. people in China are by just a few degrees of separation associated with the Chinese Communist well, Party. Well, there's like 70 million members. That's so that so that yeah, that and that alone, the specific members so this is a big deal. That's what makes it so absurd that people are like, oh, I support the Chinese people, but not the CCP. It's like, well, what do you mean? Because the Chinese Communist Party is a huge party that has tens of millions of members throughout China. So you yeah. don't support the Chinese people. And especially because like, you know, everyone knows someone in the Chinese Communist Party. But I'm glad that you brought that up because Trump has followed through on some of the most draconian, crazy policies. The Muslim ban, boom, right when he got in office boom, expanded all of the essentially concentration camps across the country, all of the ICE detention stuff. Trump definitely fulfilled the most like racist policies that he promised, you know, bombing the shit out of them, bombing the shit out of them, Robbie, and their families. Yeah. He certainly did that. He did that literally like in his first uh, couple weeks of office. He he murdered the eight-year-old daughter or niece of Anwar al-Awlaki. Yep. I mean, he made good on that promise. Yep. Um, but somehow he's not making good on any of the promises he claims to believe in of removing the troops, ending endless wars. Like he'll tweet just like a, you know, a cool sounding talking point. I mean, if this man, once again, was actually serious about any war, he would do a speech to the American people and articulate and elucidate exactly why we need to do this and why it's important. He hasn't, he's not committed at all. You have to be insane to think Trump is really ideologically committed to that. I think that people have completely severed ties to reality itself. True. And that's absolutely the majority of people in this country. But I would also... It doesn't matter where your political leanings lie. 
I think that we are in a really bad way, Robbie. And someone actually criticized that we always say things are going to get worse. (laughs) Um, So that's not a guarantee. Of course, it's not guaranteed that things will get worse. I do have faith that people can wake up. It is just surreal, as I mentioned, that we have so much information to understand the way that the world works and operates and, you know, where we're at. And we still choose the fantastical thinking. We still choose magical uh, thinking, fairy tales, just straight up. It is. And I can understand. I mean, people resort into magical thinking and religion and idolatry when they're under stress and afraid. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what we're seeing manifest right now to a large degree. I mean, it's sort of a perfect storm of fear. We have a pandemic. We have, you know, the right wing trying to rile everybody up into thinking that there are going to be roving mobs of leftists in their suburbs. I mean, this is what Republican, like a lot of regular Republicans actually believe this is going to happen and that Biden is in control of Antifa. It's like, you guys have been totally brain like Biden is the farthest thing away from a leftist you can imagine. And then I forgot to mention this earlier. If Biden becomes president, here's the thing. I really do think the Trump administration's benefits, and I'm not saying this is a criticism of Antifa, they benefit from all this chaos on either side. I think if a Biden administration comes in or a second term of Trump happens, either way, there's going to be a crackdown on not just Antifa, but also all these crazy armed people roving around the streets with guns. Do you really think the feds are comfortable ultimately with roving gangs of Trump supporters with arm, like armed? No, I don't the crackdown's think so. going to come for them too. It's going to come absolutely. and bite them back in yeah. the ass. Right. You guys are they're idiots. Being, they're being used. They're oh, being used absolutely. as tools right now. They're being used as cannon fodder. And you guys are, can't see the long view of this. Like look, and I'm not making a Trump Hitler comparison, but the brown shirts for Hitler Hitler, when at a certain point, he couldn't control them anymore, and he made sure they were quashed. The same thing is going to happen to you guys. Fucking wake up. We aren't plugged into the Trump campaign, but he is sending out mass texts to his supporters, all in caps, saying Antifa's coming to invade your suburb, Antifa's coming to destroy your neighborhood. That's like his campaign messaging, like every day sending out these texts to all the Republicans. Isn't that crazy? Jesus. It's just so such fear-mongering. It's so... Uh, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, it, it's crazy, but I feel like it's going to work. I, it's, mm-hmm. it just, it's just amping up the fear. I mean, where do you take it, though? That's the scary mm-hmm. thing. And that I want to tell that listener who, who had took issue with us saying things are going to get worse... When I said that last time, I'm talking about from now until the election. Like, the Trump administration is going to pull some crazy shit. Yeah. And whether that's an October surprise, like Pizzagate or something to that level, I don't know. But I'm more concerned now about violence and how that'll be utilized by this government. Or really any government. I mean, that's what we need to realize. Like, it doesn't... it's, It's not... Yeah, the Trump administration is really acting like they're in love with these you know, militias and stuff now, but they're a danger to the federal government's power too, ultimately. And they shouldn't have taken their eye off the ball. I don't have any respect at all for these people, but it's like you guys should have stuck to your old beliefs that the feds are dangerous and not let your guard down because now you're going to get a really rude awakening. Well, I think that the mask was off with them too, is when they had an ideological ally in power, in the highest position yeah, of power, they yep, suddenly they are anti-government. Fooled. So I don't think it's really 
that they were anti-Fed. You're right. Because you can't just like morph into being like worshiping, you know, licking the boot of authority. True. It's like that they just wanted someone that, that believed in what they did. I mean, that's also the thing with libertarians is, you know, that even when Trump first got in, they were talking about all the federal overreach Trump was doing. Um, I even saw some of them complaining about the drone strikes that Trump was doing, etc. And now, similarly to the militia movements, they're just all talking about roving mobs, are worried about Antifa. Even some of them were embracing the National Guard being called in to stop the mobs. And once you get to that point as a libertarian, you've already crossed the line into fascism. That is you crossing the Rubicon. If you are now endorsing martial law to crush the mob, I mean, come on, fuck on. So I know this is a particularly angry and ranty episode of Media Roots Radio today. And unfortunately, Abby had to bounce right before this this um, outro. But thank you again for supporting our podcast, Media Roots Radio. We are incredibly appreciative of all the new subscribers we've gotten over the past few months. It's incredibly inspiring. It gives us a lot of hope. If you're not already a subscriber to Media Roots Radio, uh, if you could toss us $5 a month through Patreon, that would be amazing. And if you're interested in doing that, you could do that at patreon.com slash Radio. Some people have been asking us, you know, why we do it per creation and not per month. Well, it actually gives us more flexibility and you more flexibility as a Patreon subscriber because you can set a cap for how much you want to pay per month. So if you don't want to pay $5 for every podcast we put out, that's fine. You, what you do is when you subscribe, you set five dollars for you know the five dollar tier and then you set as your cap per month five dollars and that means that you will only be charged for the first creation of the month total of five dollars a month but of course if you're interested in donating more you know please do you could also set a higher cap if you want to enter at the five dollar tier you can set it say for ten dollars a month meaning you only get charged for two of our podcasts but when you become a patreon subscriber of ours uh, the benefits are any subscriber of ours at the $5 tier or above gets access to an exclusive bonus episode of ours per month. And right now, we are on part three of the Freemasonic history of the United States, which is, at this time, about a 15-hour-long epic podcast series, and uh, people seem to be really enjoying it. So if you want to check that out, you can hear previews on our regular Media Root stream to get access to the full episodes uh, you become a subscriber for $5 a month. And then if you donate at any of the higher tiers, uh, you get access to things like my documentary film, A Very Heavy Agenda, Unlimited Viewing Code, or access to Abby's film, Gaza Fights for Freedom. I hope I didn't give too much of a hard sell for that at the end. We really appreciate everybody who listens to our podcast, and we couldn't do it without you. And uh, that includes people who do not subscribe to us on Patreon as well. Uh, your help in promoting the podcast and spreading the word and just taking in our information is good enough for us. Thank you very much. Take care.